We've had a very exciting last uh, nine days, I guess you could say, eight or nine days with the attack on Paris a week ago last night, and then another attack just the other day on uh, a Radisson Hotel in Mali, killing about 20 people and taking about 170 hostages. And, of course, the Ishmaelites, the ones that are the ISIS group down there, are doing all this. They're killing people all over the world. And it is important that we understand what's happening from God's point of view. We really do. We need to understand that because it's changing our life. Our whole life is going to change a very great deal. Some of you understand that. Probably some of you do not. Many of you young people suppose everything's going to continue the same for another 20 or 40 or 80 years. But I assure you it's not. Your world is already changing, and prophetic events are undoubtedly going to speed up. Things are speeding up already. So we near, are near the end of this present human society. We're near the end of 6,000 years of man's society, of man's rule, under the powerful influence of Satan the devil. And it's good that we understand that aspect of it. I know we've often used Second Peter. I want to turn there. Turn there with me, if you would, to Second Peter to begin to understand kind of where we are. And Second Peter, in your own Bible, turn with me, if you would. And I'm going to be reading here in uh, chapter 3 and in verse 3. Paul or Peter writes, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So they say, everything's just the same. Nothing is changing. Well, a lot of you know that recent news clippings have come out showing that people are concerned there were two different articles in the Weekend Journal showing how Robert Kagan, one of the top news analysts that writes occasionally for major publications, is saying that the whole world seems to be coming apart and people are wondering what's going on. And, of course, this young woman that writes for the Wall Street Journal editorial, I, I can't remember her name right now. I meant to bring that thing up here with me, but or maybe I have it, actually. But she is very, very prescient and understanding things that are going on. And uh, here's the one by Robert Kagan. I don't have the one by her, but showing that the world is changing and that there's an uncertain sound. Uh, the leadership is sounding an uncertain trumpet, and they don't seem to know what's going on. And people are wondering what is happening. Many of the older people especially realize it's not the same. It's not the same world that you and I grew up in you older people, but some of you younger people are being taken in by this world, and I want everyone to understand what I'm going to say this afternoon, but particularly you younger people, because I hope for your sake, not my sake, but for your sake you can understand this world really is different, very different from what it was even when I was growing up just 50 to 70 years ago. And I hope you can re recognize what that means. He says here, they're going to say that what's happening, everything's the same. They will forget, forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. 
There are all kinds of signs all over the world of a massive flood, not a local flood, a massive flood. And many scientists have brought out indications from the top of the Andes Mountains in southern South America and elsewhere. It shows all kinds of artifacts showing there had to be a great flood reaching right up to that time, right up to that level, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word reserved until the day of judgment and persecution or perdition of good godly men. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. Here's the key verse. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Mr. Wakefield wrote a very fine article about the 7,000 year plan of God recently and we've I've had a number of ministers write in articles their ideas about it and we certainly continue to believe in that 7000 year plan but God himself shows in a number of places that it's not some exact thing it says here as he brought out and some of our our, our linguists have pointed out this is true that as a thousand years doesn't mean exactly a thousand years and I think I've told you before that talking to some of our top chronologists in the church a number of years ago, and I knew them very, very well because I taught most of them, I guess, at one time or the other, and talked with them very openly, Dr. Ernest Martin, Dr. Uh, Herman Hay, I didn't teach him, but Dr. Robert Kuhn, my friend Mordecai Joseph, who studied the, the chronology and the Hebrew king list and so on, they all agreed that the 7,000-year plan could easily still take place 20 or 30 years either way from Archbishop Others' chronology. And that, again, is about. So it will give us up to about 2030, another 15 years, or even five or six years, it's about. Because they can't be sure of these king lists and the exact dates in many cases. And other things, this very wording says about. And when you understand the original Greek here, so it's about a thousand years, not exactly a thousand or seven or six thousand years that we're talking about. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he wants everyone to come to repentance. He's giving this world a few more years to burn their fingers in living the wrong way of life and learn their lessons. But when the end comes, events are going to pile one upon another. And as you know, when you read the scriptures back in the book of Ezekiel and elsewhere, it calls about destruction upon destruction and trouble upon trouble and so forth. One thing is apparently going to impact one after another on this world. It's going to frighten people. They won't understand how it can happen so quickly. But it is going to happen and it's going to affect your life. So we have to understand that this world is Satan's will and people are being confused. Most intelligent people really understand things are different right now, those who've lived longer and studied these things. And Satan the devil, if you understand his plan, he seems to be winning. He seems to be on the track to change everything. He's changing our entire society. Again, more than many of you realize, he's changing almost everything in our society I want all of you again, you young people, to understand this. Turn back, if you would, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. 
And again, this is something familiar. I won't read every part of it, but it talks about in verse one, a great sign in heaven and how the woman ancient Israel brought forth the Messiah and she was to get, he was going to, she was going to give birth to the son, a child as soon as was born, Satan was going to try to destroy. And she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman was fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. Then say up in heaven, the Bible never mentions the word uh, where they waft people off to heaven real quick. But that is never mentioned. That, but she has a place prepared by God in the wilderness. There's no rapture. I'm trying to think of the word rapture. And there they should feed her 1,260 days. Right after that, frankly, when you read carefully and understand history and the way the Bible is worded here, is a quite a period of hundreds of years. The next thing, war breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was the place found for them any longer. But the great red dragon was cast out, that serpent of all called the devil and Satan. So in this next war, one of these oddballs who broke off from worldwide claims it's already happened. It has not yet happened. This war has not yet happened. When this final war happens, I'll tell you one horrible thing after the other death is going to happen even more than is happening now. But the angels fought in his dragon and they did not prevail So the great dragon was cast out. So Satan is going to be cast out of heaven. Now, for the last time, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. The Bible speaks of Satan as a very real spiritual personality. And yet Satan has somehow managed to deceive people even of his identity. All people don't realize it. They just think it's a kind of a blind force or or nothing, whatever. So they don't understand there's a real spirit personality in charge of this world for this 6,000 year period. He cannot do anything that God doesn't allow, but God is allowing him to do a lot of deceiving and he's really turning this world upside down more than many realize because they're beginning to get used to it. It's kind of like the frog in the pan, you know, as you've heard that so many times, but you turn up the heat gradually and the frog just sits there. The frog doesn't realize it's about to be roasted. So it just sits there until it's too late. And that's the way with a lot of people in this world society. They don't understand. It's getting a little worse and worse and worse. And they take it for granted. First, they begin to make fun of the husband. And the old Blondie and Dagwood comic strips and elsewhere. The husband is put down. He can't be the leader of the family anymore. He's made fun of all the time. And little little, uh, ideal, uh, efficient Blondie's taking over. Then pretty soon both parents are made fun of. Then the preachers made fun of. Nearly all Protestant preachers during the period of movies, when they used to have preachers mentioned, they hardly have any more anymore. But the Protestant preachers are all look like nincompoops. You know, they step on the broom and the broom handle comes up and hits them. They, they do everything odd. They're wrong. They make fun of the ministers, even though people don't realize it's wrong ministers, yet they're making fun of the whole idea of God over and over and over again. And your society, young people, is filled with that, where the idea of a real God, the idea of true ministers who ought to be respected, that has been absolutely smashed and trashed beyond belief when you have lived as long as I have and remembered the respect that used to be shown God 
that used to be shown the Bible, that used to be shown the idea of religion. It's been trashed, absolutely, because Satan has deceived the whole world. So he is finally cast out and his angels with him. A loud voice says from heaven, now salvation, strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. He is going to accuse us because we're not going along with all these changes. Therefore, we will be persecuted terribly, even more than the Protestants. Because of the Catholic power in Europe rises, they're going to be scared. So many Protestants have already given in to all kinds of changes. So they'll just accept it, go right along. And they'll be part of the great whore. But we will not go along with that. And all the other changes that are being made that I'll be talking about here. So we will be persecuted. He's going to persecute the people of God. Satan accused them day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we're going to have to pray to God for strength, for faith and courage. And you young people particularly for understanding. And you young people in Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and Britain and Canada. I hope you all get it. You're living in a different world. I've been down there. Your world is getting changed upside down too, as a lot of you know. The former things, the former peace, the former sense of power, the former sense of greatness your nations had is being taken away. And you're going down and down and down because our nations have turned away from God. There's going to be no recovery, no recovery, unless our nations really do repent and turn to God in a powerful way. And I'm talking about turning to the God of the Bible, not the Virgin Mary, not some false idea, but the true God, the God of the Bible. And again, that's all up for grabs, too. So this thing is going to come on us, a great, powerful wave of influence from Satan, the devil. And it's already beginning to build right now. Back in John uh, chapter 8, verse 44, turn with me to John, if you would, chapter 8. And most of you know this verse very well. I hope you do. But it's something we really do need to understand. Here in John 8, Jesus Christ said to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. They, the religious leaders, were of the devil. Christ was not nicey-nice. He got very strong. How strong can you get? He got right in their face and said, you religious leaders are of the devil. And the devil desires your father, the desires of your father, uh, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. You see, brethren, Satan, the devil, wants to destroy humanity. We are now in training, as all of you know, as it tells back in Revelation 2.26, overcomers shall become kings and priests. In Revelation 5.10, we're going to become kings and priests and rule, not up in heaven, but on this earth. We're going to replace Satan. We're going to replace his demons. He does not like that. We are public enemy number one. He is trying to destroy mankind. He's trying to destroy our family, everything that family ought to mean. He's trying to destroy us personally. He's trying to destroy us through our environment, health, everything that keeps human beings going. As you see, it's an unusual assault. From the devil. He was a murderer. That's his attitude. Saint Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tells us that. We've read this, but we need to meditate on it. Satan is a murderer. He wants to destroy humanity. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not speak in the truth because there's no truth in him. He lies and lies and lies. His ministers lie and lie and lie. And his servants in the media often lie. He's taken over the media. We used to call about the three estates, you know, the family, the church, and the nation. Now we have the fourth estate, the media. And they are in control of what most people think. And when you hear some of the public media, which I was hearing again this morning on NPR, if you see how they word anything politically the way they introduce it, you if you're smart, if you're used to them, you can know very quickly which side they're on. They don't say we're against Republicans or against conservatives, but they are. They automatically put them down the way they word the issue. They always make them look bad, nearly always. Once in a long time, they'll do differently, I guess, to confuse people, or a few of them may be halfway normal. But the progressive media, they call themselves progressive. They're good at word games. They're often the exact opposite of what they say. The exact opposite, they progressive. They're not progressive, they're regressive. They're taking us right back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right back to Sodom and Gomorrah. But they don't like to admit that, so they call themselves progressive. He was a liar. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So you're dealing with a very powerful spirit being who is the God of this age, as he's called several times in the New Testament. And he has out introduced a whole alternative universe. And my point today is I want all of you, particularly young people, to beware of Satan's alternate universe. Beware of Satan's alternate universe. He's come up with a whole different way of thinking, a whole different way of life. And he's palming that off on our society Again, more than many of you older brethren think about because you may not read as much as I do or some of us. It's our job to be your watchmen. And we do read and study and pray about these things a lot. What's the answer? But of course, we all know the answer if we're honest. If we prove to ourselves there is a very real God, you've got to do that at some point in your life. It proves that this Bible, this, this book is the revelation from that God. This is God speaking. This book represents the mind of God. And please think about what I'm saying. It represents the mind of God about male and female. It represents the mind of God about marriage. It represents the mind of God about health and food and diet and exercise and everything like that. It represents the mind of God, the basic principles about every phase and every facet of life. And I won't even begin to get ready to commence to cover all of that today. I may write a booklet on this. I think it would be very effective. Satan's alternative universe. But maybe Monica can type up this this uh, uh, sermon and we can make it into a booklet. But at any rate, we need to think about this thing because it's a basic thing that this world has been deceived about, brethren. And I want you to really get it because it's affecting your life right now. And many of our young people are already falling for it. I know that because I talked to some of our ministers. I met a number of young people at the summer camp, very nice young people. But they've grown up in this. They take these things for granted. They're not bad young people. They just hear this stuff over and over and over and over again all day long. In the Internet, in radio, in television, in the newspapers and magazines they read. 
They present the fact that there's no difference or very little difference between male and female. So therefore, same-sex marriage, what's the big deal? Whoever you love, you could marry. And I guess if you love your dog, it's coming to that. If you love your dog, you really love him, you ought to be able to marry him too, right? One thing leads to the other to the other. It's already led to that point over in, 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 you might say I'm crazy. No, it's already happening over in Germany. Right now, there have been less articles about it. You love your dog, what's wrong with loving your dog? What's wrong with love? Well, you have to understand what is love. What is love? Get that straight, young people. If you don't understand love, you don't understand what we're talking about here. First John 5, 3. This is the mind of God. This is love that we keep his commandments, plural, all ten. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not too hard. What's so hard about loving God? What's so hard about loving your neighbor? What's so hard about not killing other people? And not stealing and not lying and honoring your father and mother and not committing adultery and resting one day in seven. What's so hard about that? Satan makes all that sound hard. It's not that hard if people do it. At Ambassador College, as I found myself, keeping the Sabbath was the easiest commandment to keep. Because all, all through the week, six days, you had to refrain from lust and hate and selfishness. Where one day a week you just had to rest which the whole college was doing anyway. So it's not that hard to do when you're around this kind of an atmosphere. That's one of the easiest commandments. Yet Satan tries to make that hard. God's holy Sabbath day. He's completely turned the world upside in almost every phase of life. And I want to give you a little bit of an overview of that today. And we can't again begin to cover all of it. But it's very important that you understand. So the key is, is Luke 4 verse 4. Luke 4, verse 4, man shall not live by every, by bread alone, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And again, this book is the revelation, when you understand it and read it carefully, it is the revelation of the way God thinks about everything. And if you can just understand that, you'll begin to understand everything else in a right way. This is a massive concept. It helps you understand the whole concept of male and female. It helps you understand the right concept of marriage. It helps you understand the ethnic problems we're having today, not just race, but even fights and wars between ethnic groups. As it says back in Matthew 24, nation shall rise against nation. And the Greek word there is ethnos. It's not just race. The Arabs are of the white race, but they're attacking other people who are not of the of the descendants of Ishmael. And sometimes they'll even attack their fellow Ishmaelites who are not of their strong religion in the sense of their particular interpretation of Islam. So we have to understand how Satan is dividing us in all these ways. God is not dividing us. Satan the devil is doing this. So we have to understand the word of God to grasp what's happening right now all in front of our eyes. Yet, of course, it's important that we understand the nature that God made in different human beings. One key thing that I think we are going to need to preach more of, I know Dr. Vanell has tried to do this, and all of us need to do it more. We've got to start preaching more in the right way. And I'd like to write an article on this. I hope none of them swipe this particular phrase out of my from under me. But the sons of Joseph, we need to understand who Israel is, the 12 tribes. 
But among the tribe, 12 tribes, you have, of course, the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And God talks about them. But again, Satan is wiping out all that he doesn't know who, or doesn't want us to know who the sons of Jacob are, all 12 tribes. He doesn't want us to know who the sons of Joseph are, America and Britain. He doesn't want us to realize that the massive promises that God gave them have been fulfilled in a wonderful way. And God is beginning to take some of that away because of our sins. But we do need to understand Just to get a little bit of this background, turn with me to Genesis, if you would. The book of Genesis, brethren. And I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Here near the end of Jacob's life. And remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel. Overcomer with God, Prince of God. El is one of the names of God, of course. El Shaddai, God Almighty, and so on. Jacob called his sons at the end of his life, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. We are in those last days now. Gather together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, this is the French people. You are my might the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and power. They've had a great deal of culture and all kind of music and art and literature and so forth there. Much is good, but they've been unstable. They had one government after the other, after the other, after the other, after the Second World War. You shall not excel. They've not been the great one. They get upset because they were the main ones in Canada, but somehow the British ended up on top. They were the main ones in Southern America and in the Midwest, but somehow they sold. And we got the Louisiana Purchase, about 15 states. We control all of that, including my home state, Missouri. It came to the United States of America, not to France. They had it first. In India, they got there first, but somehow Britain ended up on top. God continually took away those things that were historically at first French, because their father, they had it in their nature, and their father, Reuben, went up to his father's bed and, and committed incest in that sense and defiled it. And so God took away that blessing. He said in verse 8 of Judah, here are the Jewish people. And again, you young people, get this straight. Jew does not mean Israel, and Israel does not mean Jew. We're in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of 50 states. All North Carolinians, if we're citizens or even inhabitants, we could say, but citizens, we are Americans because we're part of the 50 states. But not all Americans are Carolinians. I think you know that, but you have to think that through because the world has been conditioned the wrong way. They think that Israel means Jew. It does not. Most people who are Israelite are not Jewish at all. Yet it's been beaten and beaten into the brains of these Protestant Catholics that Israel means Jew. No, it does not. One of the twelve tribes was named Judah. One of twelve. Those people are the Jews, not the others. But Judah, you are whom your brothers shall praise. And a lot of you know the very word Judah in the Hebrew language means praise. The Jews, again, brethren, you need to understand there is a difference in the ethnic groups of mankind. It's not evil. I'm not a Jew, so I'm not bragging about them. I don't have one drop of Jewish blood so far as I know. 
But God made the Jews to have a special brilliance more than any ethnic group on earth. If that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm not one. I'm just seeing what God does. He did it for a great purpose. Most of our Einsteins and Bernsteins and great scientists and so forth, they're Jewish. If you look in the list of those who received the Nobel Prizes for science and, liter- and science and, and, and medicine and all that kind of thing, most of them are Jews. Who were the main ones that put together bad things too? The atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb. The father of the hydrogen bomb, of course, was a British Jew. And the father of the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer, was an American Jew. Both were Jews. Who was the father of, of communism? Karl Marx, a Jew. Who was the father of modern psychology? Again, a Jew. They're always at the forefront of knowledge. And nearly always a male. God made the man to be the leader. They're not a woman Jew. It's a male Jew. That's just the way it is. I don't mean to hurt the women's feelings. But God made the man with more of a leadership and creative capacity. And that's what's always happened. So they're the ones that are there. That doesn't mean they're the greatest. God let the other tribes of Israel, particularly Ephraim and Manasseh, have a greater capacity for leadership and administration because the Jews are individually brilliant, but they'll jump this way and jump that way. So they'll be the leader, obviously, in, in psychology, or they'll be the leader in communism, or they'll be the leader in something bad sometimes. Not always the leader in something good, but they're individually often more than usual a brilliant people. They just are, and that's good, and that's good to understand. But what if God guides us all to marry like everybody, so we all become so many yellow pencils? That's what Satan has in mind when you understand it. Then there would be no more brilliant people. Who was reckoned the man of the century by Time magazine? Einstein. One of the biggest impressive heads and brains ever ever seen. When they studied his brain later, a Jew, he had that. Do you want to wipe out all the Einsteins so there aren't any Einsteins so we can all be yellow pencils? No, do we want all to be white men? No. If you if you had this mixing, then there would not be that. There not only would be any Jew, we would all be kind of a brownish yellow race. We would all be so many yellowish brown pencils, so to speak. There would not be the individual strengths and brilliance and artistic opportunities and the capacities that we have in the human race. You know, the men today, the, the, the carnal men under Satan, want to say we're all the same between male and female. Well, up until recently, at least, the French used to say, Viva la difference. We're glad we're different. We're glad we have these beautiful ladies to be our companions, our wives, our mothers, our friends, our lovers. We're grateful to God for that. We're glad there is a difference. God made a difference, and we should appreciate it profoundly. There is a difference. Viva la difference for the different ethnic groups. That is not a put-down. That is something God made, the wonderful variety that God himself put in humanity. But Satan is trying to destroy that. Another thing he's doing, of course, is bringing in one of the most awful things that's happened in modern times. Not only the control of the media, where they're setting the pace by pounding these things in your head, wrong things normally, day and night, but now the idea of political correctness. Political correctness. You're not supposed to discuss the difference in ethnic groups. You're not supposed to be saying that it's wrong for men to marry men. That's being judgmental. No, that's not being judgmental in a wrong way. 
We used to talk in society all the time about a discriminating person. A discriminating woman was one who had very good taste. She would dress well, keep herself well, know the latest styles and the way of, way of entertaining and doing that's good. The right kind of discrimination. We are to have the right kind of discrimination. Jesus Christ did. He told the woman, no, I can't heal your daughter. I'm not to take the, the bread of the children and give it to the dogs. What? Wow! Christ was politically incorrect when he said that. She was a Gentile, and he did not choose to give those blessings to her. But she humbled herself so much because she perceived the power that he had that she said, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Christ's compassion just welled up with him. He said, Then go home. Your daughter is healed. Your daughter is healed. And she was healed. But she humbled herself. There was that tendency at that time, of course, to maybe put people down in our society more than we would today. But Christ was God and he did it. And we're not to do it, we're not to do it in the way he did because we're not Christ. We don't understand all of that perfectly. I'm not saying we're to do that. But we do need to understand these ethnic differences. And that's not wrong to do. Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ did. And of course you read the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah literally tore his hair and tore the hair of some of these priests for allowing these people to marry the pagans. Partly of the racial differences. Partly, no doubt, the religious differences. But he was very upset as a servant of God that these things were happening. Is that wrong? No. He was a servant of God and God puts that in the Bible. Let's go back at this point thinking about these recent uh, killings all over Europe that have just been taking place. How come the people that perpetrate these things are often named Mohammed or some very Arab name? It all goes back to Genesis when you understand it. Back in the book of Genesis, God let Sarah send her maidservant Hagar away. And so the angel of the Lord told her, verse 9, Genesis 16, Genesis 16, verse 9, pick up the story. Return to your mistress and submit yourself. Then the angel said, I will multiply your descendants. The angel, frankly, was Christ, you see. The word angel comes from the word messenger often. This was actually Christ. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that you shall, they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. Ishmael, El is God. God hears because the Eternal has heard your affliction. But his name would be called Ishmael. He shall be what? A nice, peaceable man, quiet and Christian? No. His whole nature is told right here in the Bible. We're not to water that down. We're to try to understand the mind of God. Is God prejudiced? No, he's not prejudiced. He made us. He made men to be the leader. He made a woman to be the help to her husband. Is God evil to women? No, he made them. He's the one that gives you life and breath. So you better not get mad at God. That's what God did do. But he said, he, Ishmael, shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand shall be against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. For the last several thousand years, it's been that way. They've had all kinds of wars and wars and upsets over there where they fight each other, kill each other off. 
and then they get a dictator coming in like Mubarak in Egypt or what's his name in Iraq, pull it powerfully holding them down. That works better because that's what they're used to. They're afraid to step out of line. Then America comes in, foolishly takes away the dictator. Then they start killing each other again and killing us. But that's the way it's always been for hundreds of years. That's their nature. Is that what happens in the United States and Canada and Britain and Australia? The minute a dictator is taken away, we start killing each other right and left? No, that's not our nature. God did not make us a wild man by nature. We're not made that way. Am I politically incorrect for saying that? Of course I am. I am very politically incorrect. And this book is very politically incorrect. The day is going to come when they're probably going to ban the Bible totally. That's why I'm telling you these things now. You need to understand there is a real God in heaven. He's letting the society go right down the tubes in ways that are affecting your life and going to affect your life horribly. So we need to understand God's mind on all these things. So Satan is trying to destroy mankind. He's going to destroy mankind through war. As you read in Matthew 24, verses 21, 22, then shall be tribulation so great that there's never been anything like it, nor nor ever shall be, unless those days were short, no flesh will be saved alive. Mankind would destroy himself, left to his own devices, and under the influence of Satan the devil, unless God stopped it. God has to intervene and stop it, or Satan will cause us to destroy. Disease epidemics are going to begin sweeping across the land. Horrible disease epidemics. Are the doctors bad? No, most doctors are sincere. They mean well, but they will not be able to stop it. And also, Mr. Meekin over in Britain has written a very fine article, the lead article for the January, February, Tomorrow's World, talking about the superbugs, because they've got all these medicines they've come up with, and now the, the various uh, antibodies have been developing where the, peop- the drugs will not be able to conquer these coming disease epidemics. And he has, artic- I mean, he has quote after quote after quote from medical journals showing that. It's going to come back on them. The superbugs have now developed where the drugs won't work. And when the next pandemics begin to sweep across, the doctors and all their medicines won't work. Also, they may be overwhelmed in the first place by, by, by the number of things happening. Millions will die, as it says in the book of Revelation, about one-third. It's awful to think about that. Hundreds of millions will die of disease epidemics, again, under the influence of Satan the devil. Why? Because we've broken God's laws. We're eating wrong foods. We're letting our whole society be polluted. And we will not trust God to heal. We will not, we do not trust God to heal, so God will not protect our society. He told ancient Israel, if you trust me and obey me, I'll take away from you all these plagues of Egypt. Are America's doing that? No, we're not. We're letting our people on in, in radio and television make fun of God, put him down, virtually damn God's name in public over and over and over again. We're letting people stick their thumb in God's face. Even the Supreme Court allowing men to marry men and women to marry women. That's a terrible affront to God. God is not unaware of that. He's about had enough of that. That's why he's going to let these things start to come on us. Again, we're killing millions, about 45 million 
unborn babies, at least, that's they say, at least 45 million unborn human beings have been aborted, plus additional millions, no doubt, in China, where they had this one-child policy up until recently. How many tens of millions of little children in China have been killed, especially girl babies? They kill the little girls because they're not, they don't make good warriors. They save the men and kill the little girls. So you women often have sympathy to the underdog. Well, I'm sorry about that. You better have sympathy for God and His way. God would protect the women. God would protect the women. He would not let this happen. In ancient Rome, before the Christians came in with a little bit of knowledge they had, and they had it all messed up. But brethren, I've said before, let me say it again. To the degree, get this, to the degree that men follow what is in this book, to that degree they're better off. And when even the false Christianity came into Rome, the pagan games where they would put men in with wild animals and kill them and have men killing men right there in the arena began to stop. And the slaughter of little baby girls where they'd set little girls out in the snow to freeze to death because they didn't want to feed them. They were not good for wars. This was done all over. They stopped it because the Christians were taught to that degree the sacredness of human life, men and women. To the degree people follow this book, The Mind of God, to that degree they're better off. So don't make fun of it. Some of you young people are very sympathetic with the idea of abortion. That's been pounded into your brain. Some of you are very sympathetic to the homosexuals. You've been told over and over and over that that's okay. It is not okay. It is not God's will. It's destroying the whole concept of the family of a man being the head of a family and the wife submitting to her husband and having children and a family in a normal way, it's going to destroy the family. It's going to destroy a man developing leadership and being able to lead and have the, the, the characters to support his family and hang in there. It's going to destroy the attitude of women where they go out, they're not going to submit to man, so then they what do they do? Then they get into homosexuality, various forms of sex perversion, and there's also a tremendous rate, if you read about it. I've been reading a lot about it. I'm not preaching on that today. I could give you fact after fact after the, after from the medical journals. I've got a couple of doctor friends giving me information. But the suicide rate among homosexuals is way up. Way up. The death rate from cancer of various sorts is way up among homosexuals. Why? Because they're using parts of their body for purposes the Creator never intended. He never intended their bodies to be used that way. So they bring this on themselves because they are rebelling against God. God made man for woman. God made woman for man. That's not evil. That's God's plan. That's what He intended from the beginning. So we have to really begin to think about that from God's point of view and try to understand it and appreciate what God has done. So Satan is trying to destroy this whole thing. They call abortion. Another thing to watch in Satan's alternate universe is the word games. Satan and his servants play word games. They call abortion a woman's health issue. Is abortion a woman's health issue? When God himself had his son born, did he tell Mary, well, you know, you're not married yet to Joseph, so just kill the little baby. Kill the baby! who was to be the son of God in the flesh, that would have happened. No, he didn't. So abortion is a woman's health issue, a mother's health issue. No, it is a baby's murder issue. 
Is abortion a matter of woman's health or a matter of murder for an unborn baby? As I've said, a woman can choose either to be a a mother or a murderess. And you've got to frame it that way. If you frame it the wrong, well, it's just a woman's health too. She's taking care of her health. What? Most people who are having abortions, they prove it in many articles, in many mainstream magazines, and I have my my uh, secretary, Monica, can tell you, I have big old files full of clippings. She probably gets tired of saving them out of the various news magazines and papers. But they'll all tell you from all different sources, most abortions are performed on married women. They simply don't want to be careful. They want to have sex when and how and with whom they want. And so they don't have take care of themselves. Then they try to blame it on God, I guess, and go kill the baby. They kill the baby. It's not some last-minute thing, some scared-to-death pregnant little girl that doesn't understand. But that's not right either. Either way, either way is wrong. It's murder. That's just plain murder. Do you realize, you young people, that in the great white throne judgment, some of these young women who kill their babies... I'm not saying this will happen, but I think it probably will. They will be brought up in the great white throne judgment, and they may have to face that child whom God is going to preserve that was already a human being and realize they had killed that child, and now they have a chance and a, 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 a commission from God who's right there in the person of Christ to raise that child they refused to raise before and killed her instead. They killed that little child. Why? Because of Satan's alternate society, the way he presents these things and make bad look good and evil look good and and good look bad. He has a way of presenting it the wrong way. So abortion is killing little babies. Another thing I want you to understand, and I would like to all of you, and I've mentioned this before, but I hope I, I, I want to hold this up. This book is one of the best books apart from the Bible and Mr. Armstrong's autobiography that I've ever read. It's a magnificent book, a magnificent book, The Marketing of Evil by David Capellian. He was an Armenian, or is an Armenian, he's still alive, like our friend Mr. Apartian. He wrote a brilliant book, and of course I can't begin to read all of it. I started to read some of the things I marked in there, and I marked it all the way through, by the way. If you see, it's all marked up. I have two copies of it, in fact, one at home and one at the office. But why is anti-Americanism becoming commonplace, even among Americans? What's behind the sexual revolution, even in middle school? Why are parents increasingly afraid to watch their, let their children watch TV? Why is our legal system criminalizing public prayer? Why do half of all American marriages fall apart, including so-called Christian marriages? How is it possible that near-term babies are legally aborted despite public disapproval? Why is it increasingly hard to know if experts are telling you the truth? They don't tell you the truth. A lot of experts say, as you know when you read, that you are born homosexual. No, you are not born homosexual. I've been reading and studying that and in touch with one or two medical doctors who helped research it in medical journals, and I've read widely about it, and even the, even the leaders in the, in the gay movement admit there is no, get this, there is no gay gene. There isn't any such thing. No human being is born to do that. Did God make someone 
where they have to commit that kind of abomination that would lead them to the lake of fire? No, it tells you back in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I hope I'm remembering this right. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will with every temptation provide a way to escape. God will always provide a way. You're, he's not going to tempt you in that way. You're not made to be an alcoholic. You're not made to be a drug addict. You're not created to be a child molester. You are not made to be a homosexual. Some people have a tendency toward alcoholism because it's in their family. There may be a certain type of blood chemistry where those particular people have that tendency more than others, but they're not made that way. Some family groups have a greater tendency toward violence. They're known to be fighters. You know, they talked about the Camels and the McCoys or whatever back in Kentucky, the feuds that went on there. Some families are like that. But are they made to kill? No, of course they're not. They're tendencies. As one of my friends in the ministry said, he told people talking about this, that no, he was not born to be a homosexual. He said, God, he said, I was born to be a fornicator. And that's true. Most normal young men have a tendency to want to be a fornicator. But do they all give in to it? No, they do not. Many keep themselves pure. They don't have to do it. There's a tendency to be that. There's a tendency to misuse sex. There's a tendency in some families more than others to misuse alcohol. There's a tendency among some families to get violent and cause fights. But they don't have to do it. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, faith, love, long-suffering, and one of them near the end is self-control. That's one of the fruits of God's Spirit. With God's Spirit, a homosexual can control himself just like he can control himself and not become a drug addict, just like he can control himself and not be a drunkard, just like he can control himself in lots of other ways. With God's Spirit, anyone can overcome any of those things. God did not cause anyone to be born that way. That is one of the most malicious lies of Satan the devil. It's a lie. No one, no one was born to be a homosexual. And if you get that in your brain, then you can begin to realize how wrong it is and how people have given in. The only, the main things I've counseled people about who were homosexuals, and I've counseled quite a number, but virtually everyone I've counseled was like young man I'll call John. His name was not John. But he was with us in Ambassador College years ago, and he went off to the Philippines and was found in the workout there to be taken in by the police in a homosexual ring and some homosexual orgy. So we brought him back home, and we talked to him. I talked to him. I think it was with Mr. Partoon or John Hill or even Ted Armstrong and tried to help him, and he broke down and bawled. He said, I grew up in the Northwest, I think it was in Tacoma, where it's kind of cold and overcast and rainy most of the time. He said, my mother, my father had died or was divorced. My mother had to rear us. He had three older sisters. And his three older sisters took care of him. But they were just kids. But I could cite two or three other instances like that. Every one of them was basically the same. A missing father or a father who was not around much as a father at all. If a young man has a strong masculine father who spends even a reasonable amount of time with him and he has that example, he will not be a homosexual. But if he lacks that, some, because of the societal pressures, will become that way. But they don't have to be any, any more than they have to be a drug addict or, or a drunkard, as I've said. 
Does God want men to forsake women and start loving each other in a perverted manner to where their bodies are all torn apart and they begin to have wear diapers? Is that what God wants? Does God want men to forsake all you women for pretty soon there aren't any families? There aren't any little children being born? If that were always the case, what would Satan have achieved? He would have achieved his ultimate goal. The extermination, the extermination of the human race because there would be no human race. No babies born. Women with women don't produce babies. And men with men don't produce babies. But beyond that, there are lessons that men learn in being the head of a home and having the responsibility to protect, provide for, take care of, and nurture their family. And there are lessons women learn to submit to their husbands, to be a help, to be a homemaker. And they learn those lessons that God wants them to learn as part of a Christian family. And God wants all of us to learn those lessons. So it's not just a matter of children. It's a matter of the whole future of all of us in God's kingdom if we're not learning those lessons in a normal family relationship. So Satan is trying to attack our health. One thing I think I've mentioned before, but to show how Satan has got control so many times, for years, and still in many medical circles, the doctors would make fun of circumcision. God told Abraham to circumcise every male in his family way back in the book of Genesis. Remember that? Then that was one of the statutes that all of God's men in Israel were to be circumcised. And the doctors, the vast majority, were making fun of that, saying that's dangerous, that's unnecessary, and all this stuff. No, it's just stuff. Now the doctors in Africa and elsewhere dealing with backward people are beginning to realize that it's saving millions and millions of lives when the doctors come in there and circumcise the males because the uncircumcised males will give their wives diseases, diseases that develop in their bodies when they're not circumcised. It's saving millions of lives. There have been many articles talking about that. God gave it for a reason. And in the book, Confessions of a Medical Heretic, why this medical doctor Mendelssohn, like the composer, brings out how Joanne was a 36-year-old young mother and then her, when she died prematurely of ovarian cancer. And as her, or maybe it was some other female cancer, but at any rate, as her funeral uh, hearse was going down the street, what well, people were sorry, they knew she was this beautiful young mother, it was terrible, she died, buried in the ground. Why? Because her husband was not circumcised and he gave her cancer. That's why, it brings that out. If her husband had been circumcised, why, she would not have had that. But at any rate, this medical doctor pointed that out. What about breastfeeding? When my mother was nursing me as a little boy, and during that time and afterward, for many decades, most medical doctors said breastfeeding was not good. They had women get this, these formulas, the artificial milk they made for babies, and now, again, many of the medical doctors, and I think most of them, I haven't researched that fully, but they're beginning to realize that's all wrong. The doctors go this way and they go that way. It's not set science. It changes. Now they're beginning to say hey, there are qualities in the milk of a mother that are uniquely fit for that particular baby, not just any woman, but the, the mother's mother, the child's mother, that help that child to grow and develop and much better. 
but the health, the nursing of any woman is better than, than cow's milk or certainly than some formula. God made that that way. God made that that way. So when you understand this principle, brethren, and let's read it again back in Genesis, if you would, turn back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Here it says in Genesis 1 verse 1, why in the beginning was the word, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to quote from 1 John here without thinking, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And shows how God then brought forth the light from the darkness and the seas and dry land and then created all the different animals, each after his kind. And then it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our kind, so to speak, and let them have dominion. So we're all created. They created male and female, verse 27, and he blessed them. And said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth to subdue it, have dominion. Man was created, male and female, in the image of God. Then notice especially verse 31. Verse 31. Then God saw everything. Man, woman, animal, birds, fish, everything that he had made. And indeed it was what? Very good. It wasn't deficient. It did not need to be changed. It was very good. And God made certain plants that were good for food and good animals and so on. But what do we do? We think we have to improve on it. So now we have genetically modified food that we're feeding our people. And those foods have often had the nutrients taken out of them. They often have poisons inserted in them. Interestingly, as I was thinking about this sermon already this morning, on the morning news, right after the 8 o'clock news on Saturday morning, there's the People's Pharmacy. Some of you have heard that. How many of you ever hear that on National Public Radio? Well, five or ten of you have. The People's Pharmacy, it's very, very helpful. In fact, I ought to get somehow a pad out and scribble it down because they say if you call this number, I've kind of hated to do it on the Sabbath, but they'll send you, the, they may charge you for it, but the transcript of a program, some of the programs are wonderful, wonderful, because they're interviewing often the top doctors. And this morning, they were interviewing Dr. Evan Wiles, I think he is. He was the doctor of integrative medicine, professor of integrative medicine at the University of Arizona. And he's got his doctorate degree at Harvard, Harvard Medical School. So he is a top doctor, has written many books that are very famous, very famous. Dr. Weil, W-I-L-E, if I got that right. I was trying to hear it right and get it straight. But he's apparently very famous, very well done. But one thing he said, he kept saying, you eat natural things. But he said, don't eat processed foods and manufactured foods. He mentioned that a couple times, those two words. Don't eat manufactured foods. Avoid processed foods. Again, as much as you can. If they've been processed, what does that mean? They've been messed up by man. They've taken away the natural goodness that God put in there, and they're trying to make it better. They're trying to improve upon it. And do they improve? No, they usually destroy what God has intended. That's the trouble, brethren. It really is, and we have to really understand that. I tried to. I don't know if I was able to save this one. You know, I stuffed it in here as I was hurriedly trying to get all these clippings together. But this is out of today's paper this very morning, my favorite fish is salmon. 
and we're supposed to eat more fish. I am especially because it seems to help my blood sugar and my diabetic problem. But here's the uh, here's from the Wall Street Journal. U.S. clears genetically modified salmon. Federal regulators approved the production and commercial sale of a strain of salmon whose DNA has been altered to make it grow faster. <laughs> They're going to make it grow faster and sell it to me. I'm going to try to avoid it. Why? Because they've messed up what God made. You do not improve on what God made. Very seldom does man do that in this kind of an area. See, so you have to be sure what you're doing when you let, let man try to improve on what. That doesn't mean it's wrong to cut your grass. God told them to dress and keep the Garden of Eden. It's not wrong to cut your hair or shave your beard. That's not changing the very nature of the food or the nature of an animal, or the nature of a human being or something like that. But that's what they're doing increasingly today. So is that part of Satan's alternate universe? Yes. He's guided man to change things around. He's changing the nature of male and female. As you know, up in Canada, there are certain provinces up in Canada that when a baby's born, they've simply taken away the designation. They used to have to check a box, male or female. Now they don't check that box. There is no such box. You're an it. You're an it. You're not a male or female anymore. And that's what Satan is after. That's part of his damnable plan. Which is a horrible thing. He wants us to be its. He doesn't want us to be male and female. He doesn't want us to think of himself, I am a man. Therefore, I've got to be strong physically, mentally, and certainly spiritually. I've got to plan to save money, prepare for marriage, take care of my wife, take care of my children, and learn the lessons of leadership. Be a king in my family kingdom. I wrote that series of articles for the Plain Truth magazine. Some of you older brethren remember back in the 1950s or early 60s. Be a king in your family kingdom. And telling the wives to be a queen in your family kingdom. A man is the king, but the wife is the queen. She has a wonderful opportunity too. I know that both of my wives, Margie, before she died, and now my wife, Cheryl, they would run the household. They'd hire the gardeners and have the repair men do all the shopping and choose the foods we eat and help keep up the painting and the refurbishing of everything all over the house. They had a job to do. Like the woman in Proverbs 31, she brings her food from afar. Margie used to join Mrs. May and go way down to the Grand Central Market in Los Angeles to get more variety of foods and vegetables from there. So she brought it from afar and took good care of our whole family where Elizabeth and Mike and Jim grew up with that good food because she was that kind of a mother. And Cheryl tried to do the same thing in her own way. A woman can have a wonderful responsibility and to do those things, that she's the mistress of the house, to do all kinds of things, and be the main one to rear the children on an hour-by-hour basis, still those children, and every boy especially, needs a strong father to say, this is it, you don't do that, or I'm going to give you, you know what, and the little boy better believe it. If he has a mother that's not strong enough, or a mother that's not able to, it's going to hurt that young man. And the young man needs that, 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 that example of a father figure in that home. So there are these different ways that Satan is trying to mess up our society, making man, God made everything good. But man said, no, you don't need to be circumcised. But no, it's much better. God so, man says, eat processed milk. Get some doctored up milk out of a bottle. 
No, a mother's breast milk is much better for a baby. And the baby will be healthier later. Then all kinds of articles have fewer diseases, fewer problems of all sorts. Back in Colossians chapter 3, also another thing that you need to do, I want to comment on this. Again, Satan is causing tremendous confusion and mental disease in our society because people, the families are broken up. They're not taught a right way of life. They thought, what's going on? So children have all kinds of emotional problems and upsets. And again, with God's way of life and a Christian father and a Christian mother in the family, those things would not be the same way they are at all. They would practically be non-existent if the family was the kind of a family God wanted. So remember, as I've said many times, brethren, in sickness, it's not just what you're eating. It often is that, but it's not just what you're eating. It's what's eating you. Your emotions get out of control. You're fearful, fearful, you're mad, you're upset, you're competitive, and therefore your stomach knots up and your blood vessels knot up and you'll tend to have high blood pressure and all kinds of things will go wrong because of what's eating you. So we need to think of all these things from God's point of view. God's word is right. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're probably not going to be mad at people all the time. You're going to be a happier person. And turn with me then to Colossians chapter 3, if you would, at this point. Colossians in your New Testament. Colossians uh, chapter 3. And here's a beautiful passage in one of my favorite books out of the epistles of Paul, where I used to teach so much. He said here in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 9, Do not lie to one another. Brethren, if you're in God's church, why should you try to deceive people? Even people outside the church do not lie, since you put off the old man with his deeds. If you lie, then sometimes your stomach knots up because you're afraid you're going to get caught. Caught in your lie, and that hurts your attitude too. You have put on the new man who's renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And in the church, that's what we should concentrate on. That doesn't mean we should go and commit fornication. That doesn't mean we should go and have same-sex marriage. We are to love others of every background and even new people coming in who made these mistakes. If they repent, we forgive them. We bring them in. Therefore, as the elect of God, whole and beloved, Put on what? What are you to have? Tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Be willing to put up with one another because God has had to put up with me and God has had to put up with you. Try to understand that. He's been very merciful to all of us. Hearing or bearing with one another and forgiving one another as if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You've got to forgive others, not be all knotted up with competition and jealousy and anger and hate, which hurts you as well as them. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God, this is a key thing, brethren, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Try to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving and worship and love one another and forgive one another. Back in Galatians now, chapter 3. Galatians, if you would, at this point, 
Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. He told the Galatians who were Gentiles, of course, most of them, he said, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You become Christian. Christ is in you. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. No, we're still male and female. We should have, in the physical sense, we should have separate restrooms. Other scriptures show that. So it certainly means in certain, certain spiritual things, we're all the same. But certain physical things, there is still a difference. It's better not to marry across broad racial lines, as we've said. It's better to marry, not marry across raw, raw, uh, strong, broad ethnic or social lines. People should have the same basic background. They'll be happier together if they're married in that way. But in Christian fellowship, we're the same. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're all promised this magnificent reward if we're one in Christ. And then in John 17, if you turn with me to the book of John the Gospel of John, John 17, and we hear about Jesus' final prayer, as we've used many times, it's such a magnificent prayer, and he prays that God would be with those men and make them like he is. He said in verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Again, brethren, this is the word of God. This word is truth. Please believe that, young people. Please prove that yourself. One of the best main wishes I have, if I wish I could live my life over again and had two or three major things that I would wish I had done more, and that is to just simply read and study and just at night even just read through simple parts. If I can't be alert and learn some technical thing, just read through the Psalms. Read through the book of Genesis, how Abraham went here. And then Sarah died then later, other people died as they went along. You get used to it. There's life. There's death. Life goes on. You see the mind of God, the mind of God, and how God dealt with people down through time as you read this book. Meditate on this book. Think about this book as he tells you about how to treat each other, how different ethnic groups should interact, their tendencies, and the very nature of Joseph, the sons of Joseph today, is to help the nations of the world. And when the nations of the world get in trouble, who do they usually turn to? They've turned to the British descended and American people because we're the ones that sent the 600 ships to India when they were starving. We're the ones that send out the people around the world to help other nations. It's in our nature. The Russians don't do that near as much or the Chinese or anyone else. That's part of our nature. We have other sins. But anyway, we have to understand that. And learn from that. Your word is truth. It's the mind of God in print. Just as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Or to study this word. I wish I'd studied it a lot more. I hope you young people start reading this word and have the mind of God. Satan's alternative universe will not affect you near as much if you begin to read and read this book and understand the mind of God, the mind of Christ. 
I do not pray for these alone, verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us, as I've said, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And here's, of course, the key verse. And the glory. He was promised to have the glory back he had before. Full sons of God, the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be, excuse me, that I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Not some lesser oneship. I in them and you in me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did God love the black people? Of course, they're made in God's image. Does God love the yellow people? Yes. Does God love the brown people? Does God love white people more? No. Each one of us is made in the image of God. Each of us is to appreciate the calling we have, the strengths we have, and be happy and be glad to be alive and fulfill the strengths that God has given us. Because we're made in the image of God and the magnificent glory that Christ is looking forward to or did look forward to and now has, we are all going to have. If we take the place in life that God wants us to take, he will bless us forever and ever and ever. But we have to get our attitude right to do that. So we need to think that way and think like God, brethren, more and more. And I hope that you do when you consider the awesome reward. It's worth it. But at any rate, I want you to get back here in John now at this point in closing. John chapter 6, if you would. John chapter 6, one of the most magnificent passages in the Bible as well. It really is. As Jesus was here preparing and looking forward to his suffering, he said in in verse 53, Then Jesus said to them in John 6, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and certainly that means the Passover, but it means way beyond the Passover. The whole concept of eating and drinking Jesus Christ simply saturated our mind, our heart, our body, our attitude with everything that comes from God. If you eat and drink of Christ, if you eat and drink his blood, you have no, unless you do that, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up. Doesn't mean you're already eternal. You're not immortal. He will raise you up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Notice verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That's the key. If you study this book, if you meditate on it, think about what it means over and over Pray to God on your knees and say, Father, help me understand. Help me do this. Help me live this way. Help me to be like Jesus Christ in every facet of my life. Then you will be eating and drinking of Christ. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me. Brethren, do you feed on Jesus Christ? I hope that you do. Let us all learn to feed on Christ more. He says down in verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. No, your flesh is going to go back to the dust. Dust thou art, and to dust you shall return. 
We all go back to the dust eventually unless we live to the resurrection. But the dust, the dust flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. These words are, have life within them. They are the mind of God. And as you drink in of these words, you have the mind of God, you have the spirit of God, and you'll begin through exercising that to have the power of God in your life. So I hope every one of us can learn to feed on Christ and have Christ's mind. And again, through Christ's mind in you, brethren, through Christ's mind in you, young people, beware. Please do your part. Beware of Satan's alternative universe. Don't let him get in and screw up your mind. Don't let Satan get in there and mess your mind up the way he's trying to do all through the television, the Internet, the stuff that's coming out all through this world today. And every phase of human life, he's trying to turn it upside down. I've just given you the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. You know that. He's messed up everything. It's around you. It's surrounding you. By feeding on this book, you will have the mind of Christ and you can be aware of the mind of Satan, which is this alternate universe. Do not let Satan get it. Do not let Satan destroy you. Resist him. Resist the alternate universe created and is all around you of Satan the devil. Fight it. Overcome it. Beware of Satan's alternative universe.